How's it going, travelers? Welcome to Fantastical Faith, the podcast where I get a bunch of geeks together and try and find the little nuggets of truth within the realm of fiction. As always, I'm your host, Mike Atassi. One episode to rule them all. The finale of our two-part Tolkien talk. We're back in familiar territory. Hold on to your pocketses. And we are back. Uh, yeah, here again to talk about Lord of the Rings for the second half of Tolkien and the story of the gospel and how it relates. Once again, I am joined here by Kayla Dubnik and Grant Swafford. Woo! Yeah! We are back. Yeah, we are. All right, so I want to start this off. Since I already asked my two starting questions uh, in the last episode. Did you? I did. Oh. I thought you only asked the You only asked one, bro. Yeah. What do you mean? You only asked the first one. What are you talking about? You only I asked said the what first I question, said. bro. You Which asked one? us what draws you into fiction In slash fantasy, fantasy as, as a, a genre. genre. I'm getting your screen. Yeah, but then the second one I asked was no. no. I didn't ask that. You no. didn't ask that. What? No. You did not. You did not ask yeah. that, bro. I am well, slacking. Really okay. I uh, just figured you were saving it for this one. So I you didn't say anything. I mean, hey, it kind of works out. Um. So, evidently, I forgot to ask my second normal question at the beginning of the last episode. So, the question I have now for you guys is, what has been the most influential piece of media in your life and why? All right, I'll go first. Um, Star Wars, I would say, for a couple different reasons. First of all, it was like one of the first quote-unquote real people pieces of media that my brother and I were allowed to watch. I was like, I don't know, like eight or nine. So he was like seven or something. And we were allowed to, we were allowed to watch A New Hope and then like Empire Strikes Back and The Return of the Jedi. Um, So I just remember that standing out to me. Like before then it was just cartoons or whatever. And this was like our introduction into like real people, which is like, ooh. But then also my whole family enjoys it. So it, like, would sort of resolve any arguments we'd be having about what movie we want to watch. Because, like, my parents grew up on the original trilogy. Then we grew up on the prequel trilogy. We don't talk about the sequel trilogy. But anyways, so it was, like, a multi-generational love for the franchise, if that makes sense. And it was a way for us to connect more with our parents. But then it was also a way for us to connect with our extended family, Because I grew up in England apart from my extended family. And so I have vivid memories of when we would come to visit the States and I would stay at my grandparents' house. And my grandfather loved Star Wars. She's the one who introduced my mom and my dad to Star Wars. And so he had like the original VHS of the original trilogy of the Star Wars movies. And so sometimes my parents would want a date night or something. They'd leave us at my Nana and Papa's house. And then they would, um, Papa would put on A New Hope for us, and then we'd just watch all three movies during the night, and he'd, like, cook us some food, like some waffles or something, and we'd watch Star Wars. So I don't know. I just have very fond memories of Star Wars, I guess. Well, two nights ago, I watched the Five Nights at Freddy's movie. No gosh, It was, It was something. Um, man. Didn't have the bite of 87, so... What's your actual answer? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'd say, for me, unconventional answer. I'd go with Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man. Because, in large part, 
it was kind of like the different Spider-Man actors kind of grew up as I grew up. Like when I was a kid, I watched a lot of the Toby movies and I loved them and they were great. And then as I was getting older into more like teenage years, um, Andrews came out and they were a little bit darker. His character was a little bit different. And I just, I don't know. I thought that was a really powerful story and you see it like kind of finished, kind of continued No Way Home, how you have this character who goes through so much in his life, and that's why I really appreciated at the end of the second one, you see him come back, you see him get back up from everything in his life and keep going. Um, I just thought that was very inspirational. And another one, also Andrew Garfield, is the movie Tick, Tick, Boom. It's on Netflix. It was very, very, very good. It's a musical. And it's the story of a man deciding in his life, basically deciding between two different passions, like deciding between relationships and pursuing a career. And you kind of see the fallout of his different actions and just kind of like that internal struggle. And that kind of came when I was starting into college and kind of making some big life decisions myself. And it's just a really good movie. A lot of good music. Andrew Garfield kills it. Um, So yeah, I'd say those two. The second half of this episode, we're going to be talking a lot about really just Everything that leads up to what I know Grant is excited to talk about, uh, the Dago Dagoroth. Um, so we're going to, but we're going to start in the third, at the, like the beginning of the third age, right when everything is really kicking off. And, you know, um, at this point, Sauron has been kicking around for a little while, trying to take over the world and whatnot. And then eventually uh, the remnants of Numenor and the the elves all band together to defeat Sauron at the end. Um, and then he, you know, goes into hiding for a couple years and then comes back again. And that's where we get the Lord of the Rings stuff and also leads into the Hobbit. So, so I guess we could talk, we could talk a little bit about, I guess just the different people that were involved in such a war. Um, Cause I think once again, the fall of man is exemplified by Isildur in how he let the ring corrupt him. And how he just didn't really care at all. And now it ultimately led to his downfall. Um, and once again, like like the Numenorians and the and the people of Gondor before him, they let themselves be deceived by Sauron, by Sauron's power, and it ultimately led to their destruction. Again, I would say it's like this underlying theme of pride. And if I remember right, I think the ring yeah, the ring like betrayed him in the end when it fell off of him that was like an intentional thing the idea of his thought being that he could wield this power right like control evil and be master of it but in the end it was what mastered him right like the idea of in the moment any kind of sin feels good feels powerful but in the end it's going to end up mastering you and ultimately lead to your own destruction, which you really, yeah, see in Isildur. And it does, at least to his own death. And then just the consequences of his choice affect other people too, which is another tragic part of it. Because if he just chucked it in the lava, we wouldn't have a good movie trilogy. <laughs> That's yeah, true. So true. Yeah. For as stupid as people are sometimes, their mistakes make for good movies. <laughs> yep. So true. Then we can go into the whole, like, how the ring passed to, and then you see more corruption as the ring passes to Gollum and he's just, his mind is just so twisted and he holds onto the ring for longer than he should. Bro, that opening scene of the third Lord of the Rings movie scarred me as a kid. I find it interesting that also he developed a split personality because of that almost. Which, I don't know if it's ever expanded upon in the books. I haven't finished reading the books all the way through. No. But it's not. Not really. Some people think it's like the ring is a separate personality. I got no clue. 
I don't know. We haven't learned that in psych yet. We haven't really evaluated I just evaluated feel like maybe he's burdened by regret over killing his friend. Like, I don't know. Like, I just feel like murdering your best friend, chilling in a cave for a couple hundred years will, like, seriously do something to your mind. So, like, I never really viewed the split personality as, like, the ring having one. Mm-hmm. Maybe, like, the golem personality is his drives and impulses under influence of the ring. And then Smeagol is, like, his last remnants of humanness trying to fight back. Yeah, and that's, like, a big part of his character. Like, you see with Gandalf, where he talks with Bilbo about how true courage sometimes isn't knowing when to take a life, but knowing when not to. Right, and just recognizing, if you look in the grand scheme of it, like Bilbo not killing Gollum and the Hobbit lets him guide Frodo and Sam. And yeah, he was like not a great guide because he led them to Mega Spider who almost killed them, but still. But he still got him there. Yeah, without him, I don't think they would have gotten there. So the idea of like one act, you don't really see Gollum's redemption, I guess. No, but he was he was almost there. Right. Like he was so close. I don't know, because again, Bilbo... Not Bilbo. Frodo made that choice to spare Gollum, and which almost led to his redemption. Ultimately, it didn't. But I, I know I just always found that interesting. But it was. I feel like that was ultimately a result of Smeagol's own choices and his own internal dialogue and his own thought process, um, and also a lot of external factors because he blamed Frodo for things that were outside of his control. At the end of the day, he was like, "All right, nope, I'm gonna kill this guy and I'm gonna take the ring back." So and that I think that's what ultimately pushed Smeagol to the brink, which which you can draw another parallel there with how we surround ourselves with people, because um, Frodo was like, you know what, no, there's redemptive work to be done here, and he was ready to do that, and Sam was starting to believe it too, um, albeit very very slowly. I'd say if he had given it a little more time, he probably would have come around, but just like seeing how outside influences can affect people, I think of it in like a way, say you're trying to. Like, you're trying to mentor somebody in faith, and, you know, they have other outside influences. It may be, like, a young student who doesn't, isn't hearing the word of the Lord at home. They're not, they don't have a great home situation, a home life, or something like that. So, you, it's up, it's up to you to show them the love of Jesus in that way, so that you're able to, or show them to where the light is. Frodo does that a lot for most of the characters he's around, but in the end, he's not perfect either. He's still susceptible to the ring's influence albeit slower than most people would be, which is shown throughout all three movies, I think. The idea of, if we can go in this direction, cut me off if we can't, but the idea of surrounding yourself with other people like makes me think of Aragorn, too. We can get into that character a oh. little bit. Oh, we are definitely going into Aragorn. I just I think there's a lot to be said for Aragorn as the standard for biblical manhood. And one thing I've really appreciated on rewatches is just noticing how much the people he surrounds himself with are integral to who he is. And you see him a king when many of the company don't know that, right? And yet he doesn't flaunt that position. He leads, but he leads by example rather than throwing around titles and authority. And you see him still, like, defer to Gimli or Gandalf or uh, Legolas or whoever else, depending on the circumstance at hand. He's, like, not... Arrogant, not trying to do everything himself. He recognizes the value of having good, trusted other people around him 
and all of them mutually leaning on each other and be united in a common goal to a common task. And they're able to accomplish so much more because if you took authority in every single situation, you know, like with the minds of Moria or wherever else, just areas that are out of his depth, there's so much he couldn't have done. I think that's just really powerful for a believer to consider how much the believers you surround yourself with um, can really impact you and how sometimes, you know, like God has given us each unique giftings and how different circumstances, different people are gifted for those. Like God can definitely equip you to the task that he calls you to, but just being with other people united toward a common goal, common purpose of glorifying God in the end, I think that's just awesome. Like we're, you know, like the, um, what is it? Threefold cord cannot be broken. You know, two are better than one. One falls, the other will pick them up. Because you can get into the whole idea of fellowship as well. You know, fellowship of the ring. <gasps> That's crazy. What? Almost like the guy who wrote this was a believer. What? No way. John Roken, Roken, Tolkien himself? What's his actual full name? John? Roken. Roken. Tolkien. There's two R's, though. Yeah. John Roken, Roken, Tolkien. There can't be two Rolkins. There can I'm looking, be. I'm looking this up. Ronald <laughs> Roll Token. <laughs> Freaking liar. <laughs> I will call him John Rolkin Rogan Token to the day I die. And I think his parents made a big mistake. If my last if my last name were Tolkien, that's what I would name my child. John Rogan Rogan Token. I think it just flows off the tongue. Whoa, he was born in South Africa? What? Huh? I did not know that. I actually didn't. I was know that born either. in Tennessee. <laughs> what were we what were we talking about aragorn. okay aragorn so this is kind of going off of that and i think you can really see it in aragorn but i think you can also at the i'm sorry did you just sorry. say aragorn i can't say his name unless i say it in my british voice do it. do it aragorn there i think one thing that you see in aragorn right that i think is also present okay now i just have to speak in my british voice i'm sorry is um that's also present in all of the guys in the movie like at one point or another is like the way that they treat one another i guess and like the way that you see what true like biblical masculinity if you will is meant to look like like they're not all like yeah macho men hacking slash yeah but like they allow themselves to feel and they allow themselves to be vulnerable with one another. They allow themselves to cry and to grieve. And yet they still like pick themselves up and keep going forward. Kind of like Grant was explaining towards that common goal. But I don't know. I just feel like a lot of times nowadays, I'm trying to think how to explain it. I feel like a lot of people forget what friendships like that look like and just immediately call you gay. You know what I mean? Like, yes. I feel like like in the media, men are either portrayed as like, whoa, I got to be like buff, non-feeling, macho man. Otherwise, I'm weak. Yeah. Or if they like allow themselves to show emotions and feel and like. It's a weakness or it's, a weakness, it's just or, like, considered. You're gay. Yeah. But like, even now, I get really frustrated that kiss that Frodo and Sam share at the end. I feel like so many people misunderstand what it was actually conveying. And then you get, like, fan art of, like, the two of them being, like, couples or whatever. I'm like, no, that's not the point of it. I, I have not, in fact, looked this up. I'm just, like, assuming that there's probably unholy fan art out there somewhere. Yeah, probably. I actually read an article the other day 
about why Gimli and Legolas should have been a couple. That's it was what like I'm on saying. Screen rant. They were That's like, I I'm think saying. it would have added such a dimension. It's like, no. People see not... guys or girls, but a lot of time guys like having an actual healthy biblical relationship and assume that it's homosexual. And it's like, no. Do you know what I'm trying to say here? I don't know if any no, of this I get, is making sense. I get sense. what you're, so I get what you're saying. That's something that I always appreciated about the movies and the books is that they are like, yo, like Aragorn, super, Aragorn is super cool. He can swing and slash with a sword. He's an awesome leader. He can be stoic when he needs to be. Like when Gandalf died, he put himself as like that strong figure to prevent everyone else from coming around. But then you do see him like grieve and like shed tears and like you know or like the whole like where they like i don't know put the foreheads against one another i'm like yeah this is like an actual really beautiful like showing you how we're meant to relate to one another as people and i feel like a lot of people miss that nowadays i mean it's definitely a big product of the times we live in um because you see a lot of people just you know who can relate who like our our culture has been warped a lot um but back when, you know, Tolkien was writing and stuff, people were thinking about these things. They were actively being like, okay, no, this is a big idea that needs to be communicated. And now we have a bunch of words just being thrown around. You got, you know, toxic masculinity, uh, femininity, and all these word, all these big words that mean such different things in the context of when those words were created. And then we've just co-opted them to fit whatever narrative we have. There's actually a really good video. I, have, I actually have it pulled up right now. Uh, by Cinema Therapy. It's called Aragorn vers- versus Toxic Toxic Masculinity. It's twenty minutes, um, and listeners, if you have to, if you have the time to watch it, go watch it because it's really good. You ought to also watch their video on a silent voice. Oh no! I haven't seen the movie yet. What, what? You have? Wait, no. I was thinking. Never mind. Never mind. I was thinking Fireflies. Oh, Grave of the Fireflies. Yeah. No. I also want to watch that one, but no, a silent voice. Sorry, I don't mean to get us soundtracked, but no, okay. sidetracked. Emotional pain. But emotional pain, but they also have a very good video also on that one. Movie. Yes. Very important. Very good movie. Very good. But yeah, so going back to the cinema therapy video, um, they're, they, they address a lot of the stuff we've already hit on in a much more clear and concise way than I think I ever could. But it really just analyzes Aragorn as a character and his whole ideals when it comes to leading or even in interacting with the opposite sex, which us us fellows could take some notes from that, um, especially in today's age. Uh, I like the way... Is, if I'm going to be rejected, I want to be rejected by a man who then hops on his horse and rides into a mountain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but there's like a whole... There was something that uh, Cinema Therapy said as well that kind of it, it's more of a funny quote but it's kind of cool you can decapitate orcs and write poetry at the same time because you see in the way that he aragorn's a competent fighter he can get crap done he's he is that guy but he doesn't view himself as such and therefore when he's interacting with whether it be eowyn or arwen he composes himself so well and he's not condescending he's not you know anything that we could say is wrong with that but in the same but like it's just it's just crazy how that works 
and how we have that picture. One specific scene between Aragorn and Arwen that always stuck with me, like I could talk about any of their scenes, but one scene that always stuck with me that I think like really demonstrates the trust that they have in one another and like the way that he views her as an equal and not like lesser than, if that makes sense, is when they're, you know, Frodo's been stabbed, he's not doing too hot, he's like moving into the shadow whatever shadow realm yeah the shadow realm that whole deal and he's like groaning on the floor and then arwen shows up and he's like hey what's up everybody and then like her and aragorn start having like this mini bickering back and forth because she's like i can take him to my father and my father can patch frodo up and he'll be great and aragorn's like are you crazy there's like wraiths following us i don't want you to do that and she's like but i'm a faster rider than you i can do that and rather than like you know, sometimes like putting his foot down, be like, no, like I'm a, I'm a gonna do that. I don't think you can do that. He's like, all right, fair enough. You're right. You are the faster rider. In that case, you take him and then you go. I don't know. That scene always stood out to me as a kid is like them showing that respect for one another. You never once see him feel the need to prove his worth. Exactly. Right? That's what never I'm trying once. to say. Like he didn't, series. like he, he didn't feel threatened by the fact that she was like, no, I'm like actually a better writer. Then he wasn't. Whoa, wait, 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 wait a minute. Wait a minute, now I've got to do this to prove to you that I'm a macho man. Rather, he was like, no, this is my woman, and I trust her, and I respect her, and I I know my own worth, and I know her worth, and she's got this. She can handle it. Asking as, as a guy, what is, your, what is your opinion on the relationship between Aragorn and Eowyn? What, what are your views on that? Because I'm actually kind of interested. We, we joked about it earlier. But no, I, I wanna... know. She can't make soup, bro. She can't make, make the soup, soup, bro. I think it's a very good look into how to navigate a one-sided relationship. Like, again, it's obvious to us and becomes obvious to him that she's really into him and he's just not really into her. But again, when they finally have that conversation to talk through all of that stuff, he's very respectful. He listens to her. He doesn't invalidate her feelings. I don't know. He just, I don't know. I just always like that scene because sure, I always preferred Arwen as a character to Eowyn, but I just love how respectful he is in all of it, I guess. Like, I think it's a very good example of how to handle a situation like that. And then also just the way that he treats her overall. Like, even when he knows, okay, so this is, like, how she feels towards me, he still treats her with respect, doesn't make fun of her fear when she talks about how, hey, I want to be a fighter and I don't fear death, I feel this. He's not like, oh, you're a woman. Lame. In summary, my man drank respect woman juice. Bro injected it straight into his bloodstream. <laughs> he did. Grant, do you see any parallels? Or since you've read Baron and Luthien, I'm, I'm wondering, what do you see parallels with that? Or I always viewed Aragorn as King David of the Bible. That's always the parallel I've drawn. With Baron and Luthien, yes and no. Because like Aragorn... Baron has a good deal of honor and respect for everybody he deals with. He's a pretty capable fighter, um, goes on a quest. But I mean, like, overall, not especially. Maybe you could draw parallels between Aragorn and some of his ancestors, some of the high elves of earlier mythology. But I always saw him as kind of King David. Um, in both instances, you kind of see this character who's, like, emblematic of biblical manhood. Like, I feel like Aragorn would be like, you know, Aragorn's a man after my own heart. <laughs> Kind of like you see with David, um, the idea of a warrior king, 
that's the one thing with Aragorn is you don't really see him make any mistakes. I feel like probably earlier on in his life, you probably saw some of that happen. I'd watch that movie. Yes. Oh my gosh, that'd be so cool. But yeah, I always like I always call King David the Aragorn of the Bible. Just both of them, warrior kings, uh, men to aspire to be like who make mistakes and are definitely not perfect. Like even with Aragorn, I feel like you see him make a few mistakes, more tactical than moral. But even then, he like will fess up to it, you know, and he'll apologize. He will, um, but he won't let it stop him from doing what he knows he needs to do. And they both surrounded themselves with uh, good companions mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, David and Jonathan. I don't know if you've ever read about King David's companions, but yeah, that's true. The thirty. And the oh three, yeah! Like, oh yeah! No! Oh my there were some. There were some men. One jumped into a pit with a lion yeah. on a snowy day and, and one. wrestled it. To yeah. Death. yeah. Yeah, that's why the other guy who killed the dude with who killed the giant Egyptian with his own spear. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Mm. I need to reread that passage. One kills like Goliath's cousin or something. Was it his cousin or brother? It was like a relative of Goliath. Goliath. Yeah, Yeah. that's pretty. That's pretty fun. Yeah, Yeah. I think there's a book series about him. Is there? I think so. I can't remember what it's called. My dad told me about it once. Hmm. Hang on, let me see if I can find this. I always found King David interesting. It's my favorite. Doesn't well. David and Daniel are my two favorites, for sure. Mm, yeah. You know what? I was going to say, doesn't the Bible legitimately call David attractive, or am I making that up? I think it says, like, he was ruddy oh. and handsome. I was going to say, like, it doesn't say he was attractive, yeah. but it, like, it does say he was, like, ruddy better looking than the average man or something, something like, like that. that. I mean, they said that about Saul, like, he was mega tall. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. with David, they emphasize in comparison to his brother's, at the start, it was like, eh. But then later on, I think, I think. I was mainly just pointing it out because I like the little details. Like yeah, that. Like, yeah. Like yeah. the one disciple being like, and he got there first, if you know what I mean. Yep. Okay, so I found the book. It's called, it's the series is called The Lion of War series by Cliff Graham. Is it fiction? It, technically, I feel like it would be historical fiction because it follows, it follows King David and his mighty men and just all the things that they're doing and all their all their feats and whatnot. But I guess it's just, you know, it's a novelization, so it's probably a little dramatized as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but my dad said it was a good series and tried to get me to read it at one point, but I never did. All right. Thorin let's talk Oak about let's talk Gandalf. about the let's talk about them filthy hobbits. The, I heard Gandalf, what was the other Thorin. Uh, oh. Ooh. Oh. oh yeah. I love his arc so oh, much. Oh, he has all right, such let's an start arc. with Thorin, then we'll go into the Hobbitses, and then we will close out with Gandalf. Perfect. Indeed. Perfect. And then we can get into Dagor Daggerath. Yes, and then we can get into a summer of the world. That one. Yep. Cool. Super cool. All right. So we got Thorin Oakenshield. Thorin Oakenshield is the rightful king of Erebor, which is a dwarven city that was taken over by. A dragon. Dragon came in and stole their mountain and all their gold. And the entirety of the Book of the Hobbit is dedicated to them getting their mountain back. And it's a really good book. Mm-hmm. The movies also, I like the movies. I like the movies a lot. Mm-hmm. I also I like think the movies. They, I think people didn't like them because they deviated from the book a lot in many ways. No, they, they really Not did. Not as much though. as people say it is. Like, even Gandalf's sequences in Dol Guldur, they reference in the books. Yes. Like, I reread them recently. They're referenced I, I pretty heavily like in the books. I thought, like, the pale orc died. Like, early on he in the was, books. He, there aren't any orcs in the book, he, I'm pretty sure. Um, well, it was saying. early days when he 
equated goblins and orcs. But Azog was referenced in the book. I'm pretty sure they just mentioned he was at the Battle of the Five Armies and killed Thorin. Spoilers. Um, he literally hey, makes yo. no appearances in the book. Except reference, but they skipped the whole battle of the five armies too. I'm not saying that is bad, yeah, really because Bill, no, because Bill gets knocked out, and it's from his perspective. Yeah. Huh. Like at the start of the battle, he yeah. gets knocked out, and then he wakes up after it's done and sees the fallout. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So we don't actually hear about any of that in the book. So, like, I'm not saying that is bad that the movies deviated from the book, but like they most certainly deviated from. The I'd book. say in well, five armies, I'd I almost appreciated. That part more. Oh yeah, yeah no, no I'd say they seeing the fight. Yeah, they added a lot more than I'd say they would take away because yeah, the Dogul no, Door sure. sequence is probably one of my favorite <laughs> sequences yes. in all of yeah. so cinema. Uh huh. Just the whole so vibe good. of that scene. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's just the just three of them versus the Nazgul, and then Sauron just comes out of nowhere. Mm. And, you're like, and eh. freaking uh, good old Benny Benny Cumberland comes in. Just starts speaking in the black black tongue, and I'm just like, oh! <laughs> I also just love atomic nuclear. Oh my gosh, nuclear Galadriel. Yes, <laughs> I just love Elrond coming in with his devil swords. You yes. should have stayed dead. dead. With the Rivendell theme yes. playing in the background, such a so oh good. I it's also the closest just love my man Radagast. Yes. Bro was high Radagast on was his mind. <laughs> he was just happy to be there. Pack Radagast was smoking. I want some of that. <laughs> Anywho, back to Thorin. Yes, Oakenshield. Thorin Oakenshield is what we were mainly talking about. We see him on a journey, on like a whole character arc throughout this entire thing. He goes from exemplifying a leader, trying to be a trying to be the rightful king that he is, to honor his legacy and the legacy of his father. But then, as it goes on, and once they actually reach the mountain, you see him take this more hostile and like corrupted form. Which is interesting when you think about how the dwarves who received the rings were corrupted. They weren't corrupted by the rings. They were corrupted by their own greed that the rings provided them. You know, the dwarves had their own own, th own things going on. But you see, you just see Thorin go through this whole arc of just being like a jerk to everyone around him. And then eventually he does... I think he, eventually he does find redemption, at least in the movies. I can't remember in the book. It's been a while he does. since I've read, he does. read the book. I think it's interesting to almost compare him and Aragorn, too. Like, in between the uh, leader-friend balance, I'd say Thorin probably leans more leader than friend. He seeks the advice of the other dwarves occasionally for, like, mapping and stuff like that. But if there's a big decision to be made, he's going to make the decision. And everybody is going to follow him. Like, he's... You see that the whole time. My choice. You, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, sure. And they're also, like, family, which is another big element to it. But um, you see him be very disdainful of Bilbo, which we're going to get into Hobbits momentarily. But really, you see him value strength in battle and doesn't recognize Bilbo's value in other senses. Um, but, yeah, that's what I really enjoyed in the third one at the end where you see the dragon sickness, as they call it, begin to take him and just the greed corrupt him and really... He has everything that he ever wanted. He has the gold. He has the mountain. He has his kingdom. And yet he ends up more alone than ever because he drives everybody away. Like, that's something I've seen biblically even recently in that evil always inevitably, like, consumes itself because it wants to be the only one. You know, like you see in the book of Revelation with the beast and um, the false prophet, all that. Like, it attacks itself, and Thorin ends up lashing out, first at Bilbo, because Bilbo did quote-unquote betray him, but then the others, because they're just calling out his actions, and then they're willing to fight and do the right thing that he's not willing to do, 
And so you see him like sitting alone in his mountain, like a far cry from who he was supposed to be. Cause he's, you know, think of legend. Cause he wore, he like bore the Oaken shield and faced down Azog on the battlefield. And yet whenever all the others are willing to go out and fight in this battle to fight for their kingdom, he's just content to sit in the mountain and let everybody else, a bunch of innocents die. And so I enjoy seeing his redemption in that. And yeah, his conversation with Bilbo. Um, in the book, it takes place. Again, um, Bilbo's knocked out for the battle. And um, I think it's Gandalf who comes up to him and is like, oh yeah, bro, by the way, Feely and Keely are dead. I think another one died. <laughs> and then um, he comes to Thorin in his tent. They have a whole conversation. Very similar to the one in the movie. So you see some redemption there. I like the Hobbit movies and the book as well. I need to reread the book eventually. It's on my Christmas list because I don't actually have a physical copy and I realized that I hate reading on my Kindle. I tried to make it through Fellowship of the Ring on my Kindle and it does not, it, it's not fun. I also feel like stuff can be learned from the other doors in the way they navigated all of that. If that makes sense, like, uh, you know, the Bible says that we're meant to be a light in the life of other people and I feel like the doors, you know, sure, Thorne was treating them terribly and making awful choices this whole bit, but they still stood by him. Like, they stayed in the mountain with him. Even though they wanted to go and fight, they were like, yo, something's clearly wrong with Thorne. He's our leader, but he's also our friend and so we want to see if we can, like, try to speak some reason into him and then when he comes around, they offer him forgiveness and they still decide to follow his command leadership when he decides to join the battle and even then you still you still do see a little bit of like call it civil disobedience maybe or something in that they were standing by his side until they're like this is a line we won't cross like because when he does come to them they are suiting up they're like i think it was feely or keely comes up to him he's like we're going to battle like whether you join us or not you're not who you're supposed to be you're not doing the right thing we're going to go out into battle and you can sit here if you want but we're going to go out into battle I think it kind of like demonstrates this like fine line that the Bible talks about how we are called to be a light into the life of other people, but how we're also not meant to follow the example of the world and not meant to like keep evil in our lives if it's, you know what I mean? If we've like tried what we can to help that person, but at the end of the day, they're just dragging us down with them. We are called to like, so I don't know. It just made me think of that when we were talking about the dwarves. Yeah, yeah for sure. I'm talking about the other dwarves, Balin, bro. bro. Balin is my favorite. Balin and Balin and get up. Balin, however you say his name, I love him. Balin, I love him. He's such a good character. So much. Yep. So much. He's the best. The most wholesome dwarf. So true. And he speaks reason into Thorin. Like, as his elder, and he's the one who's like, Thorin, bro, like, what are you doing? (laughs) And behind, but behind the scenes, (laughs) but behind the scenes, he's the one who, like, will question Thorin to his face sometimes, but also he's the one holding the company together. Like you see whenever Thorin snaps at uh, Feli or Keeley about the orcs, he's like, well, no, let me explain. Like, here's what happened. Mm-hmm. And in other cases, he's like, that's my king. Like, I have seen him in battle. I've seen him, and I have great respect for him. We need to keep following him, really holding the company together, mm-hmm. but still being willing willing to come to Thorin in those moments and be like, hey, you're not the man that I knew. What is happening? I love Dwarven camaraderie, as it's portrayed in a lot of media nowadays. It's just fun. Even in Rings of Power, dude, that was my oh favorite. that my was my God. favorite part that of Rings of Power. That was the best part. I loved the dwarves. It was overall. I did not like that show, but the dwarves, though, <laughs> I did. I loved the friendship between yes, Elrond, Elrond, and Elrond and yes. Durin. I'm, yeah. I'm actually really excited to see where they take that. I know you guys mm-hmm. didn't like the show, but no, no, well, I didn't like the show overall. But I'm still willing to like, I like parts of it. I like parts. I of just, it. I just want to see the Balrog attack. That was really Same. funny. Remember with the uh, with the table. Remember the table? 
with the elves. He comes into their kingdom and he's all like, you stole our resources. This table is made of resources from our home and you have the audacity to give me dinner at it. And then he and Elrond are walking away and he's like, yeah, actually, I just really like the table. <laughs> yeah, I do remember that. Yeah, <laughs> they were hilarious. great. Oh my gosh. They were so Such a great, great dynamic. <laughs> oh, so good. All right, for time's sake, let's move on to Hobbits. The Hobbits. 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 Hobbits are the small folk that live in the holes in the ground, and they are very hospitable, very, very peaceful folk. Uh, they are good. They are good little homies. My initial thought it, for Hobbits, in terms of biblical parallels, is they are, as the Gospels say, the meek who will inherit the earth, because they aren't. They are not all that in a bag of chips, but they stay in their lane. And they're unexpected. And they're like, you know what? Let's stay out of the affairs of men. Let's just chill and live our own lives. And that's not to say that they, that we as believers should be passive, but like the meek will, and again, inherit the earth. And Frodo got to you know see the Undying Lands, which was one of the only hobbits to ever do so. One Bible verse that came to my mind when I was thinking about the hobbits and like how it relates to the gospel and all of that is First uh, Corinthians one twenty seven which says, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. That's, that's a bar. Wild, because that's um. what I was thinking of, too. <laughs> <laughs> Yo! It's, it's like the scene in the first Hobbit movie with Gandalf and Galadriel, which is one of my favorite scenes in the whole thing, where Galadriel's asking him why they brought a Hobbit, and Gandalf is like, you know, it's the little... The little acts of goodness, I believe, that keep the darkness at bay. I also have a quote from Gandalf that I feel reflects that same verse, which is, Many are the strange chances of the world, and help oft shall come from the hands of the weak when the wise falter. Gandalf, everybody. Gandalf, it's almost like the guy who wrote this was a believer. believer. John Rolkin, Rolkin, Tolkien. The legend himself. Crazy. I also think hobbits are also, in a way, a good demonstration of the difference between what it means to be meek and what it means to be weak as in like a lot of like a lot of people i feel like don't truly understand what it means to be meek meek at heart and i feel like the uh, hobbits are a good demonstration of that because they're not weak per se like as in like let me explain like frodo and sam and all the other hobbits, they show an immense amount of courage. Like, they know that they're not the best equipped for this, but they also know that with the help of the people around them, with the help of Gandalf, you could maybe or maybe not equate for, like, God, if we're talking about our own lives, if that makes sense. Like, they know that with his help and with his strength, they can make it. Like, they're not weak. They show courage in the face of adversity. They overcome the trials that are given to them, but they do so whilst remaining, like, humble at heart. At the end of the day, they just want to go back to their quiet lives. Exactly. They're not doing this for their own glory. They're not doing this to have a bunch of, like, riches poured onto them. They're doing this because in their hearts they know it's the right thing, like what they were being called to do, but they just want to go back to their house and chill. And I think one of my, my favorite scenes in the entire series is You Bow to No One. Oh my gosh! Yeah, I, I love, that scene. love that scene so much. We could go back into Aragorn, but we already talked about Aragorn. So, but the fact that showing such meekness from all these hobbits, they were given an opportunity to show strength, and the fact that that's what other people noticed, because those the actions of those hobbits turned the tide of literally everything. 
Yeah, and it's even just like the fact that with that knowledge, the reason Aragon said you bow to no one is because despite the fact that they are the ones who saved the entirety of Middle-earth, they were still lowering themselves and bowing down to Aragorn, which is what prompted him to be like, whoa, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, I feel like a lot of people forget that. Like, they could have been like, hey, yo, look at us, bro. We're so cool, bro. We, like, destroy the ring and all of that, and everyone would be dead if it wasn't for us. We're like, no, like, we're still going to humble ourselves and bow to the king and the people around us. And everybody looks down on the hobbits until that scene. Mm-hmm. Every common person looks down on the hobbits until that scene, mm-hmm. and now they're honored mm-hmm. because they did what was right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's also impossible to not look down on a hobbit. I also always found it interesting how they return, the hobbits return to the Shire, which is a place where no one knows what they did. Like, I don't know. I just always think that can be applicable to our lives. Like, this idea of we do what is right, knowing that we're probably not going to receive praise for it. You know what I'm trying to say? Like, they returned home, and things were just as they had left it, and no one was any the wiser. Yeah, but then, you know, prologue stuff. You see that Frodo gets to go off to Valinor and see the land of the Undying. Um, And then... And Sam gets to marry Sam, his woman. Yeah, and then Sam marries Rosie. Mary and Pippin probably do their own thing. I haven't finished the book, so I don't actually remember if they go into more depth about that. But either way, they all get to enjoy the things that they had originally longed for they wanted they wanted full lives of simplicity and i'm not going to say of ease because that's not something that we as i don't think we as believers should be striving for but like they answered that call they answered the call to action adventure suffering and whatever but in the end of all that suffering they got their reward which is which of course, parallels the Christian walk. We are living in a broken, fallen world that's just full of suffering and all this crazy stuff, but we're still called to walk the walk, talk the talk, and in the end, we will receive that reward, which is eternal life with Jesus. I'm currently reading through the Book of Romans in my quiet time, and this morning I Paul was talking about, and it, it was this one verse that stuck out to me, and it was, we are called to join God in his suffering and in his glory. And I was always just like, yo. I was just thinking about the fact that they all come back different, too. Mm-hmm. Like, all, like even, like, you see Gandalf warn Bilbo, like, Bilbo asks Gandalf, like, will I return from this journey? He's like, yeah. He's like, I can't promise that. But if you do, you will not be the same hobbit you were. And you see that with every single one of them, the amount of maturity and growth like you know we go from fool of a took to like you know leading tree beard and all of them to well i guess out of order but still but i like that end scene where it's all of them back in the tavern where they started just compare that scene to the very first scene of all of them in the tavern and you can like see and almost feel in a way the difference between them as a result of the journey, kind of like Grant is trying to say. Because in the first scene, they're all just kind of goofing off and junk. But then you get to the end, and they're just kind of sitting there. They're just, like, reflecting. Yeah, Mm -hmm. like with the life they've been through, the experiences, the suffering, the joys, all of it. Like, it just completely changes them, and it's kind of like molding them into the people that they could be. Like, they're becoming almost like their best selves. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's almost like sanctification, maybe. 
you know, as we become more and more like Christ, as we continue to follow his leading in our life. Yeah, like they suffered a lot of pain on that journey in many different ways, but at the end of the day, they came out, quote unquote, almost better for it. All right, so let's talk about Gandalf, if we don't have any other types, uh, if we don't have any other other, uh, things to say about the hobbits, which we love hobbits, shout out the hobbit, all the hobbits in the world. Except for the hobbits and um, not even the hobbits. What are they like? Harflings? The Harfoots? Harfoots? Hey. Hey, what? Hey, okay. Anyways. Don't hate on the Harfoots. They're in the books. I'm hating on the They're Harfoots. Hate on the Harfoots. I'm hating on the Harfoots. What do you mean? It's just a tribe of hobbits, bro. Bro, they abandon each other to die. Yeah. I feel like that's not Survival necessarily. Survival of the fittest, bro. Bro, I feel like that's not necessarily like a good biblical parallel to be drawn here. It isn't, but they still have a huge family dynamic that they do. Makes sense. It's pretty cool. She's literally a female Frodo with no personality. Wow. They even like not, try to they incorrect. even try to replicate the Frodo and Sam goodbye from the first movie where Frodo's trying to leave in the boat. Anyways, Gandalf am Gandalf, I right? Gandalf. Let's in go. Rings of Power. <laughs> we don't know if that's Gandalf yet. We're pretty sure, but we don't know. Okay. Anyways, Gandalf. Yeah. He's a great guy. Gand- Gandalf Super is cool. a pretty cool man, I must say. You may know him as the guy who swings the yo-yo really fast <gasps> with the rave music playing I in the love background. That video. That's a great video. Um, great video. No, I think I think Gandalf is pretty pretty neat. Mm-hmm. I must mm-hmm. say, he's such a He's I feel, he feels like an Obi-Wan Kenobi type, like the perfect blend of Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon Jinn. Just like he's sassy, but at the same time he knows when to take things seriously and like get down to business. So, whenever I see him, whenever I see him do something, I always am happy. And he looks out for the little guy. And he like, I don't know, I just thought of this between the parallel between Gandalf and Obi-Wan, do with this what you will, but like this idea that all of them both of them like faced so much adversity in their lives and faced so much hardship and struggles, and yet they never once gave in to despair. Or like in Obi Wan's case, he never once gave in to the dark side, and in Gandalf's case, he never once like gave fully into the temptation of the ring. Because yeah, Frodo offered it to him. If like you could look at Episode Four, Obi Wan, kind of like Gandalf the White, like a lot more wizened, a lot more serious, but a lot more powerful. Bilbo Baggins, I am not trying to rob you. I'm trying, trying to, to help, help you. Also, shout out Sir Ian McKellen for doing yes. Gandalf. Ah, that it man is, so good. is a goat. Also, the scene with the where he fights the Balrog will oh, always yes. be oh so such good. a great scene. It's actually my computer background. Rather, it's an artist rendition. Oh, like the book. That's so cool, bro. It's an artist rendition of the book, as the book describes it. There's another one that's really cool that's more movie accurate, but I like this one. And I can't. Every time I find like a funny thing, I could change my desktop to, or a serious thing, I could change my de- desktop to. I always just look at it and I'm like, you know what? No, I can't change it. <laughs> I feel like this might just be me, but I also feel like he himself also goes through growth. During the movies. I feel like there is a shift in his personality and the way he maybe engages with people between Gandalf the Grey and Gandalf the White. I feel like Gandalf the Grey was maybe a little bit harsher? Question mark? Question mark? I'm mainly thinking of the way that he treats Pippin. Like Gandalf the Grey, 
he's a lot more sassy, a lot more sarcastic, a lot more like calling out people on their stuff. Kind of gets upset more often. He's a more whimsical lad. Yeah. As opposed to Gandalf the White. Gandalf the White has more this aura of like wisdom to him and like this idea that like whatever happened to him did change him, if that makes sense. And he's able to offer more counsel to the people around him. He's more patient with the people around him. Does any of this make sense? And I also feel like he has a far more commanding presence as Gandalf the White than Gandalf the Grey. I mean, yeah, he went. He underwent some pretty radical changes. Maybe not in his character. I feel like his character remained pretty consistent, and like there were tones of there were tones of Gandalf the White that were in Gandalf the Gray. But once he became Gandalf the White, then you're like, oh no, this guy is like it's completely like the tone was completely shifted. You see it when he go when they go to Rohan and the king is like possessed by Sauron or Saruman or whatever. I don't know why, but I also think of like comparing the scene of Gandalf the Grey just like going after Pippin for knocking the skeleton into the well to the scene of Gandalf the White comforting Pippin when he's like yo are we like about to die right now like I'm really scared of dying I don't know like I always just found those two scenes to be really interesting I think the difference between Gandalf the Grey and Gandalf the White something that's always not confused me but I've always found it interesting how whenever he comes back and he's talking to the hobbits, like they say his name, it's like, oh yeah, that was my name. Like he's he's very much almost a different person. And I've seen interviews where they talk about how intentional it was, the changes in him. Um, I think a big thing is like he's sent back, right? Like he basically dies and is sent back, and he has like a purpose. He has a single mission, and so that's in large part where you see the difference in him. Does Frodo ever say Legolas's name in the movie? I think they recently debunked that theory, actually. Oh, yeah, because at the end of the movie, you see him writing the book, and he has Legolas's name written. So Frodo yeah, knew... but he didn't say it. Frodo, he didn't say it. He knew his name enough to write it down. He didn't Maybe he'll never say, say it. it. In the final... One of the final... In, like, the first part of the finale of the third movie, because there's, like... You gotta admit, there's, like, four finales to that movie anyways when like frodo wakes up and everyone's walking into the room and he's like you got the music playing but you can kind of hear him faintly saying like gimli like aragorn all this stuff and then when legolas comes in he's just like (laughs) (laughs) ah he just has that goofy grin on his face like that dead-eyed stare and the dead-eyed, goofy stare. He doesn't go, Legolas. He's just like, ah. Ah, it's, it's you. Ah, it's you. The awkward, uh, the awkward Zelda smile from the end of Breath also, of the Wild. Also, hear me out. In the movies, how many scenes do we get of a woman talking to another woman? It happens once. There's one. What? There's no, one. When she's talking to the little girl? Yeah. yeah. There's one. In the whole series of two women yeah. discussing life together. Wait, does what about the Hobbit? I'm not talking about. No, no, the no. Hobbit, I'm thinking. Obviously. I'm thinking even the Hobbit. Uh, uh. Hey, yo. Hey, yo. Wait. Wait. Wait a minute. Oh my gosh. I don't think. Hmm. Well, you. Well, no. You get like uh, Bard's kids and uh, what's her name? Tar's daughters. So you oh, only you're have right, a you're woman right. talking to children. girls. Yeah, to children. Yeah. 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 Eowyn talks to the little girl, so he's like, where's mama? Isn't she basically like, 
calm down. Yeah, yeah essentially. Which is, like, appropriate. I, I don't know. No, I think she, like, puts a blanket on her and goes, shh. <laughs> <laughs> so did they even talk? She no, was just think, stopping no, a conversation little, from happening. Yeah, she was. I think the little girl just goes, where is mama? And then Eowyn's like, shh, quiet mother's child. mother's dead. <laughs> probably dead. I'm pretty sure wow. she survived that anyway. Did she? Mm-hmm. Yeah, she did. She finds them. Deep. Yeah, she finds them when they get to Helm's Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, they do. That's right. Anyways, what else we... Uh, Oh, yeah, you wanted to talk about the end of the the world. Apocalypse. All right, now we're going to segue, and I'm going to kind of let Grant take the reins on this one because I know nothing about this. We're going to be talking about, now we're going to be talking about the Dagor, what is it, Dagor Daggeroth? Apocalypse. Yes. The Dagor Daggeroth is, it's very, very hard to find info, and most of my info is coming from a single wiki page and a single article, so um, take this with a grain of salt. But essentially, you won't see it in most modern drafts of the book because, if I recall correctly, it was a prophecy that um, John Rolkin and Rolkin's great nephew, I think, is that how he and Christopher are related? I think he's his great nephew, I believe. Christopher decided to omit it um, because he had to basically choose which draft of the Quinta Silmarillion to include in his translation or publication. But essentially, at the end of the world, you see Morgoth, which is Sauron's big papa boss, return from the Door of Night, I believe it is, which is the Shadow Realm that they banished him to a minute ago. He gets out. Pretty sure the Silmarils end up coming back. A lot of people come back from the dead. Big battle. Big epic stuff. Unfortunately, it would have been so cool if he wrote a book of it. Honestly, that would have been so cool. But it's okay. But anyway, it comes in the form of prophecies and references to Morgoth one day coming back is where you kind of glean the information. But I think what's very, very important to get from it is the final defeat of evil, which, um, again, biblically we see in the end, evil being defeated in a very decisive final way as you see again and again in real life with wars and the bible and everything else you see evil keeps coming back right in new forms and new persons but in the book of revelation as you see with the dagor daggerath like this is it and it in the um in middle earth there ushers in a new age of prosperity if i remember right new age of peace and prosperity um and evil is never to be seen again and that's what we see again in the Bible, which is just beautiful that, um, that's the end. Like that's where we as believers are headed. Yeah. Like revelation is filled with a lot of really frightening imagery and a lot of crazy, crazy apocalyptic stuff, a lot of judgments. But, um, as believers, we can have confidence in the fact that the judgment has been paid in full for us. So we don't have to fear that. And that one day evil will be completely and totally just annihilated, gone, never to return, and that we will have peace and eternity with God. And there's not a chance of any sort of, you know, like it says in the Bible, he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. There'll be no more pain, no more suffering. Um, Just returning with Jesus, which I think is just beautiful. And that Tolkien who, you know, the big difference between him and C.S. Lewis is C.S. Lewis's work in Narnia is very, very clearly a biblical parallel um, Tolkien took more themes of life, light and darkness, but the fact that he decided to include this as the end, that that was the best ending he could come up with is what you see in the Bible. That is the best ending. It's a direct parallel to the Bible. I think that's just 
something incredible, something beautiful, and that, yeah, it didn't get written as a book, but hey, live action version, IRL. I'm just saying. Coming soon. You. <laughs> to, a, <laughs> to a planet near you. <laughs> to a hometown near you. Oh my gosh. I'm not, I'm not calendar reading it. I promise you, we're not calendar reading Revelation. No, we do not do that. But the Bible does say it's coming soon. I do like. I'm looking at the wiki page right now. It says at the end of the at the end of like the like the summary of the whole thing. Tom Bombadil refers to this uh, once referred to this future time as when the world is mended in a song. Yep, I believe that was in uh, Fellowship of the Ring. Yep, just just like just how the world was created in a song, the world will be. The world in this one, in this prophecy, will be annihilated and then rebuilt through the same means it was created. There, yeah. Thereafter, the earth shall the earth be broken and remade, and the Silmarils shall be recovered out of the air and the sea. For Feanor shall surrender them willingly. Willingly, Yavanna will rekindle the two trees, and a great light shall come forth. Something like yeah, something like that. Yeah, the second prophecy of Mandos, I believe, is what that is. Why Christopher Tolkien never included that in the Silmarillion publication. I'll have no idea, but it's still pretty cool. All right. Uh, yeah. So that was. I think that's about it's all we got. Very cash money, y'all. Do 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 Thanks for listening, everyone. I hope it was enjoyable for you. This will probably be the last episode of Fantastical Faith for a while, but who knows? There's still a lot we haven't talked about, so there's always a chance for a comeback. In the meantime, stay curious and stay fantastical.